Welcome to Hebrew Bible Insights, a podcast about making sense of the Hebrew Bible. I'm your host, Matthew Delaney. I'm a Hebrew professor who teaches and researches uh, the Hebrew language as well as uh, related languages to the Bible and the Hebrew Bible. In this podcast episode, we talk about one of my favorite new psalms, Psalm 113. This is a psalm that I would love to do a virtual reality tour teaching of. It's it's awesome, uh, beautiful, and this will I think we will be in awe of God and challenged to love like never before as we go through this psalm. Welcome to Hebrew Bible Insights, a podcast about making sense of the Hebrew Bible. I'm Matthew Delaney. The Old Testament, the first 75% of the Bible, is confusing and boring and offensive for so many Christians, but that's not how it has to be. Whenever we read these ancient stories and poems in their original context, we find out that these stories are truly incredible, and they share so many valuable insights about God, about life, and about ourselves, and we see how it naturally fits into the Christian story. So uh, if this is something that you guys enjoy, which again, many of you have, and I really appreciate hearing from you about how much you're enjoying the podcast and how you're sharing it with friends and family. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. I really enjoy getting to help make these stories simpler and uh, showing how these stories are truly engaging and meaningful uh, for a lot of people. And uh, so anyhow, anything that you do to share, whether you, uh, whether you like the Facebook page, uh, you like and subscribe to the podcast, or whether you give financially to Patreon at Hebrew Bible Insights, all of that is extremely helpful. Thank you guys so much for all that you do. Uh, for today's conversation, uh, I'm excited to go through one of my new favorite psalms. It's Psalm 113. It is so good, guys. I, I really wish that I could do a virtual reality teaching of this one, if we could all put some VR goggles on and go through a little universe tour, because that's what happens in this psalm. And it's not a very long one, but there's so much packed in here. In fact, we're just going to go line by line, and I'm going to show you how this, the author of this psalm is trying to teach us some amazing things about God. And I think we'll walk away uh, full of awe of how big and amazing God is, but yet also we're going to be challenged to love like never before. So let's look at this psalm here. This uh, psalm begins, by the way, with a, a Hebrew phrase that I'm sure many of you actually know. You maybe just didn't know it's actually Hebrew. It begins with hallelujah. So hallelujah, uh, if you're like me when you grew up, I did not know what that meant. I just knew this is something that people say during worship, and I think it's a good thing, so I'll say it. I didn't know what the words meant. In Hebrew, hallelujah means praise. That's why you tell a group of people to praise. And then yeah is a shortened form of God's name. So it means, basically, praise the Lord. And uh, so it's literally what it means. So anyhow, hallelujah, hallelujah de Adonai, hallelujah et shem Adonai. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. So this begins like a lot of Psalms would. We're going to praise God. That's the context here. And the next line, he's going to, the author's going to say, once again, let's praise God, basically. And quickly, we're going to find out what in particular is causing this person to praise God so greatly? You know, there are a lot of things that we can be amazed at God about, whether that's in our personal life, whether that's when we, when we reflect on the goodness of God throughout the ages and all that he's done. We reflect on the goodness of Jesus and his salvation. There are a lot of reasons to praise God. We're going to find out what is this particular poem about? Why does he want to praise God? So verse 2, Yehi shem Adonai mevorach, me'atav adolam. Blessed be the name of the Lord, 
from now and forever. And then he says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So this basically means everywhere. He wants all of the earth to praise God, all the earth. All right, now we're about to officially dive into the part I think is super cool. So for this, if you can just imagine you're wearing some VR goggles, if you can just pretend and imagine, use your imagination for this part, it'll be really helpful. And one of the things you need to do in your imagination is this, is pretend you've actually never been on an airplane. In fact, pretend airplanes don't even exist. Let's go to the ancient world and think of how they viewed things. And remember that for them, the earth, the earth is where people belong. The heavens, or really it's the word for sky, or the heavens for the ancient Near East people, including the ancient Hebrew people, heavens was the word that referred to everything above the earth. So it's the place where the birds would fly. It's the place where the clouds were. It's the place where storms happened. It's the place where the stars are and the the sun. So that's what the heavens is, okay? And for them, the earth, that's where people are. The heavens, that's a place where people aren't. Uh, you know, and if you imagine trying to get there somehow, uh, it's just, it's an impossible feat. And so this is actually why the Tower of Babel, they tried to build a tower and their goal was to reach the heavens. Basically, they wanted to become gods. If you think about uh, maybe ancient Greek culture, perhaps this will also help. The ancient people tended to view that earth is where the, he- where the people were and the heavens, that's where the gods were. So all the story, ancient stories were the gods are in the clouds, or there's Mount Olympus where they're on the top of the mountain, the highest place of earth where heaven and earth kind of intersect. Um, so anyhow, maybe that helps explain some of those things. For the ancient people, they kind of viewed things similarly. And so there is a, there's a different psalm, by the way, that even explicitly spells it out where it talks about how, you know, the heavens, heavens are gods. That's where God is. And earth, he's given to humanity. So, okay, obviously we're not talking about heaven as in the spiritual realm. That's kind of a different conversation for another time. But, all right, we're ready to imagine. We got everything we need to know. Let's go ahead and dive in. So uh, here's how verse 4 goes. Ram al kol goim Adonai, al hashamayim kvodo. So we have the Lord is high above all the nations. So the beginning of this poem is we're rising, we're ascending, we're going up. We're imagining going up to be above all the nations, physically, but of course metaphorically too, right? God's more powerful than all the nations. And the next here's what we have. Al Hashemaim Kvodo, above the heavens is his glory. So for the ancient Hebrew person, this would this would cause someone to turn their head a little bit. Because they would think, okay, the heavens, that's where God is. The earth, that's where people are. For the ancient Near East people, that's how they view things. But this says that God his glory is above the heavens. What does that even mean? How could something be above the heavens? Because that's the highest realm that there is. Even for us today. We realize how much bigger the universe is than we've realized. I mean, with every passing century, we learn how much bigger and bigger the gal- all the galaxies, the universe. Imagine there being something beyond the universe. And that's what this poem, this poet is saying. There's something beyond, above all of this, and it's God. And so we are very, very high up, very far up in this picture now. We're not just above the nations. We are above the heavens, above the universe. That's where God's glory is. So at this point, I'm just amazed at just imagining the bigness of God. For those of you that are really into uh, learning about the universe and the galaxy, you, you especially, you probably get this when you see the pictures of how brightly colored all the different galaxies are within the universe. Imagine something that's even bigger and higher than all of that. Wow. 
So then, verse 5 is this, Mika Adonai Eloheinu, who is like our God, Hamagbihi la Shavit. So, this part in English, they say, who is seated on high. I don't really like that translation there. Um, what it literally is, is, it's the one who, it's participle in Hebrew. So this is the one who goes higher to sit. So basically the idea is he has to go up to sit down. So I'm not going to explain this part yet. I think the next verse will help us here. The next verse is, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Once again, I don't really like the beginning of that translation either. Both these are participles here. So we have the one who has to go up to sit down. And then verse 6 begins, the one who goes down to see. So first I want to, let's talk about how that's actually counterintuitive. Like sitting down, which I am right now, I had to get lower to sit down. Whenever you sit down, you get lower to do that. And the opposite, if you want to see something better, generally you get up higher. So if you're at like a big sports game, like me and my dad and my brother would do a lot when I was a kid, and I wanted to see better, you'd stand up. And uh, whenever I was studying Hebrew in Jerusalem, I studied at Hebrew University of Jerusalem at Har Sofim, which is... It's, the, it's basically called, it's like the mountain of, of viewing or looking, but specifically it's like lookout mountain. And if you want to get a really good view of the land, you find the highest point that you can to look and see. Yet here it's reversed. God is so high that he even to sit down is rising up again. He goes up to sit down. So the high, the height of God, the elevation, the power of God is just tremendous here. And then we see this. He has to come down to see. To see what? To see the heavens and the earth. So, again, hopefully imagining things as an ancient Aries person isn't too difficult, but it's important for understanding the Hebrew Bible well. We can't imagine as an American. we got to imagine this as an ancient Near East person. For them, the heavens, that's the place where the gods are. So it would make sense to say maybe that God has to come low to see what's happening on the earth. Now, to be clear, they're not saying that God has bad eyesight. They're just kind of giving a visual. Uh, but what doesn't make sense is that they're saying that God has to come down not just to see what's on the earth, but also in the heavens. He's so high above even the heavens that he has to come down low to see what's going on there. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So at this point, uh, we see God in his grandeur, his awesome, great power. And but there's one thought here that I think um, would maybe be a little challenging for us to think of this. If God is so high, if God is so big, if he's so great, who does he have time for? Who would he come down to visit upon? For the ancient world, many for many people, this was the king. If it got, because the gods, they were, you know, for the ancient world, of course, there many of them were, you know, polytheistic. But if the gods were to get involved, it would be with the with their kings. In fact, many of them thought their kings were demigods or even gods themselves, maybe for a priest, but it wouldn't be for a person like me. If, 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 we, if me or you wanted to interact with, with the gods of our culture or whatever, we would have to go through to a priest. We would just listen to what the priest or the king said. And this picture makes it seem like, yeah, if God's that powerful, he would only interact with the most powerful of us. So, of course, we're talking about the one true God, right? We're talking about, um, about the Lord. And so what do we learn about him. This next verse to me 
moved me so much because if we're in our VR time right now, if we're on our roller coaster experience, this roller coaster has been going up, 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 up. We've gone up above the nations, up into the heavens, up above the heavens. And now we're about to, this is part of the roller coaster where those of you who love roller coasters, you're going to love this part, right? This is where we go racing down very, very quickly. And where do we go to? Verse 7, we learn another thing about God. We get our third participle in a row. So again, a participle, it's, it, it communicates the idea of a verb. So it's an action-oriented thing, but it's focusing on the subject, though. It's focusing on this is just a thing. This is the thing that this person does. And so it becomes like their identity, if you will. So anyhow, the third one we have in verse 7. Miki mi me'afar dal, mashpot yarim evyon. The one who raises up from the dust the poor. He raises up the poor from the dust. And from the ash heap, he raises up the needy. Wow. So we've gone from the highest imaginable point beyond even what we can imagine. And what we learn about God is he raises up the poor and the needy from the dust. The dust is the lowest part of the earth. And what we notice is that God, he goes down to the, to the people that are the most ignored, the people who are the most left to the side, the people in society that are forgotten. And so what we see is that God, he's going into these back alleys. He's going under the bridges. He's going into the broken down parts of society, and he lifts these people up. How great is our God that he's above even the, the greatest heights and expanse of the universe, yet who is it that he goes down to reach? It's the poor, the needy, the people in the dust. And the idea is this. If, the, if God goes out and reaches out to the poor, how much more would he reach out for anyone in the world, for anyone in the universe? Incredible. So then we go to the next part here. im am and we see that he doesn't just reach them and lift them up. He lifts them up to sit with the princes, the princes of his people. And so uh, this is where we see kind of a, almost a democratic kind of thing going on here, where you have the poor and, the, and the, the high lifted up are all seated together. I think that God views power very differently than we do, by the way. Uh, whenever, you're, whenever you're trying to compare height differences, we only can tell height differences based on a horizontal perspective, not a vertical one. If you're on a higher plane, you look down, things look almost in the same height. And I think for people, we get so obsessed and focused about our power systems and who's higher up in the company, who has more money, who's taller, who's whatever. And really for God, he ends up lifting us up to where we are all truly together as one family, not playing this comparison game. Then you get the last part of this verse, uh, which this will touch, this this um, this will touch, come close to home here for some Maybe some of you listeners, and as well for the ancient Hebrew readers, Hebrew people. Verse 9. He gives the barren woman a, a, a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Um, uh, technically, a little bit in this translation, I don't think I would agree with it. Basically, he returns the akeratabait. This doesn't mean, I don't think, I don't think this really means that the, he doesn't give the barren woman a home. It's more that the barren one of the home, okay? Uh, he returns her to become a mother of children who is very happy. So again, for the ancient world, 
especially for women in the ancient world, having kids, that was so much of the identity and purpose. Uh, again, in modern culture, we tend to view things a little differently. But I think for anyone who's really wanted a kid and be having that challenge, that's, uh, that's a heavy weight. That's a heavy emotion, and it can feel very helpless at times. And so what a picture that God reaches out to this person to give children to. Again, this also interestingly connects to the poor because women who couldn't have children in the ancient world, your place in society uh, was, very, was very low. If you're not married, women with very low society. Again, not saying this is what God wanted, but this is just the reality of their ancient times. And so this author is showing that God reached out to the poor. He reaches out to the woman who can't have kids. And then we end this poem with one more, hallelujah. And so we end with praise the Lord. So I walk away from the psalm. And as I meditate on this, which, again, meditation, meditating on Scripture, as we think about in, in maybe Psalm 1 or Joshua chapter 1, uh, it's not necessarily like, let me try to memorize everything word for word. It's meditating on these stories, thinking about these stories, chewing on the stories and the poems and the images, and, and prayer as I pray and as I live and as I walk, and that meditation then... Um, changes the way I view the world, changes the way I view myself, and it calls me to act differently. And so from time to time, as I look up to the sky as I'm walking to work, or as I'm going out and walking my dogs or driving, and I see the heavens, I sometimes I think on this psalm, and I think about how great God is, especially on a cloudy day. It's incredible how huge the sky looks, or on a starry night, how far out we can see. And for me, I'm just in awe of how big God is. But then I can't think about that with also knowing that God reaches out to the poor. And if this is what God does, if he reaches out to the lowest of the lowest in our society, that should also be what my calling is. I don't think this means that we all have to say, okay, I care about reaching the homeless more than any other people group. There's so much need in the world. There's so many different types of people in in pain and in hurt, people who are far from God, people who are entering a relationship with God. I think it's more so that this should challenge the way that we view everyone, that whoever we come into contact with, that we should never have a thought that this person is beneath, is too beneath me, because there's no one who's too beneath God to reach out to. And so for me as a professor, uh, this challenges the way I view my students. That Every student that I see is I want to see this person in the way that God does. And one way that I know God views them as God does me and everyone else in the world is that God, he would reach out to them. No matter how low their situation may seem, no matter how bad their family situation, no matter how low their confidence, no matter how much they've been beaten up and chewed up and spit out by the world, this is someone who God loves and who God would want to reach out to. And remember that one of God's favorite ways of working in the world is to work through people. So for people like you and me, I think this is a psalm that leads us to praise of God and how good he is, but also leads us to action to say, I want to be a part of God's kingdom purpose of reaching out to the poor and the low and the broken of our world. And so I think this should challenge us to want to love the people in our own home well, to love our neighbors, to love the people at work, the people in our society in a really amazing way. So that's Psalm 113. I love this psalm. It's a beautiful, uh, I love reading Hebrew poetry and uh, just absolutely beautiful. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to end this podcast and I'm just going to uh, read this psalm straight through in Hebrew. I know some of you really love getting to learn some more about Hebrew things, and you know that's my main thing. You know, I, I literally professor of Hebrew what I do, 
teach and research Hebrew as well as the Hebrew Bible. So anyhow, uh, I just want to read this psalm one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah avdeh Adonai. Hallelujah et Shem Adonai. Yehi Shem Adonai mevorach me'ata ve'ad olam. Mimizrach shemesh ad mevo'or. Mehulal Shem Adonai. Ram al kol goim Adonai. Al hashamayim kvodo. Mika Adonai Eloheinu. Hamagbihi lashavet. Hamashpili lirot bashamayim uva'aretz. Mekimi me'afar dal. Mashpot yarim evyon. Lehoshivi im nedivim. Im nedive amo. Moshivi akeret abayit. Em habanim. Smecha. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this episode. I look forward to seeing you in the next conversation. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hebrew Bible Insights Podcast. You can find my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can find me on my Facebook page at Hebrew Bible Insights. And if you're interested in giving financially to support, you can find me at Patreon and also at Hebrew Bible Insights. Thanks for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next conversation.